This is a new podcast which will focus on solved and unsolved murder cases as well as looking at missing persons cases. The cases that I will cover will be from many different countries. Some will be recent cases and others will focus on cases from many years ago. I hope to publish one-off episodes but also use multiple episodes to cover cases that are more in-depth. The first episode is called In Broad Daylight. It is the well-known case in the UK of Susie Lamplew, who went missing in 1986. Her body has never been found and no one has ever been charged with her disappearance. This case is a cold missing persons case going back to July 1986. Susie Lamplew was born on the 3rd of March in 1961. She was named Susanna by her parents, but she was known as Susie by most of her family and friends. Susie went missing on Monday the 28th of July in 1986. She went missing whilst attending an appointment to show a man round a house which was for sale. Susie worked as an estate agent. She went missing at about 1pm and was reported missing by her employer later the same day. The estate agents that Susie worked for at the time of her disappearance was called Sturgis and the offices were based in Fulham, which is in south-west London. Susie had been employed by Sturgis estate agents for about one year. She was apparently considered by her employers and her work colleagues to be conscientious and a hard worker. On the day of her disappearance, there was a diary entry for a meeting with someone calling themselves Mr Kipper. Susie was due to meet this Mr Kipper at 35 Sherolds Road, which was also in Fulham. The appointment, according to her diary, was for 1pm and the arrangement was to meet outside the house. According to Susie's workmates, Susie left the office at about 12.45pm to make the short drive from the office to Sherolds Road. It was later reported that Susie had taken with her her car keys, the house keys, her purse which contained £15 cash and credit cards. However, Susie did not take her handbag with her, which would indicate that she had every intentions of coming back to the office after the appointment. At the time of her disappearance, Susie was 25 years old and she had shoulder-length dyed blonde hair. She had blue eyes and was 5 feet 6 inches tall. She was reported to have been wearing a peach-coloured blouse, a grey skirt, a black jacket and a black pair of shoes. I found it interesting when researching this case that in some of the earlier missing person posters, Susie had dark shoulder length hair, but she'd actually dyed her hair blonde shortly before her disappearance. The photo used at first would have probably been the most recent one that was available. Other photos did come to light afterwards to show her with blonde hair. I think we forget sometimes that it wasn't always so easy to obtain up-to-date information, including photographs, We are so used to being able to use technology to provide more up-to-date information, but back in 1986, the technology simply was not there. The photographs of Susie online show a very pretty young woman with a lovely warm smile in the prime of her life. Susie had many friends and she also had a very busy social life. She liked to visit wine bars with her friends, often in the Fulham or Putney area where she had her flat. Susie was also close to her family, which consisted of her mother Diana, who was about to have her 50th birthday when Susie went missing, her father Paul, her brother Richard 
and her two sisters, Elizabeth and Tamsin. Diana worked as a swimming instructor and Paul was a solicitor. After Susie left the estate agent's office on Monday the 28th of July 1986, not very much is actually known regarding her whereabouts. When she left the office at approximately 12.45pm, it was known that Susie drove her company car, which was a white Ford Fiesta. According to the diary entry in her work diary, she had arranged to meet a Mr Kipper at Shorolds Road in Fulham. Witnesses did come forward with some information, but how accurate the information was is unclear. Witnesses came forward later to say that they saw someone matching Susie's description outside the house for sale on Shorolds Road in Fulham at about the same time that she was due to meet the person calling himself Mr Kipper. It was reported that Susie was seen talking to a man outside the house. Another witness came forward to report that they had seen someone matching Susie's description sitting in a BMW car with a man and that they appeared to be arguing and that they drove off together afterwards. On the day that Susie went missing, Monday the 28th of July 1986, the first indication that something was wrong came later that day. Susie had not turned up for another appointment that she had booked for that afternoon and that was very unlike her. Everyone who knew Susie felt that this was very out of character. Also, she did not return back to the estate agent's office to collect her purse. Her manager contacted Diana Lamplow, Susie's mother, to ask her if she had seen or spoken to Susie at all that day. Diana was at a loss as well and couldn't find any reason for Susie not returning to work. Susie's employer reported her missing that same day at 6.45pm. It would appear that the police took the report seriously. They called round to Susie's flat and gained entry by force, but there was no sign of her. There was also no sign of a struggle at the flat. Susie's company car was found abandoned at 10pm that same day. It was found approximately one mile away from Shorwoods Road, where she had arranged to meet this Mr Kipper. The car was unlocked and the handbrake was off. Her keys were missing, but her purse was still in the car. It was discovered in the glove compartment. The money was still inside the purse. It was reported that Susie's parents went to the scene that night to try and find her in the surrounding area. The police set up an instant room at the local police station and drafted in 100 officers to work on the case. Press conferences were held involving the police and also Susie's parents, Diana and Paul Lamplew. It was obviously hoped that relevant information would come to light. At the time, it was one of the UK's biggest missing persons cases and the investigation was taken seriously. Reports did start to come in that Susie had possibly been seen with a white man with dark brown hair in his late 20s or early 30s. The possible sightings were close to the house that was for sale on Shorolds Road in Fulham. At roughly the time Susie was expected to be there, this man was never, has never come forward to the police to rule himself out. Likewise, the person referred to in the diary as Mr Kipper has not come forward at all. An effort of the potential suspect was made and distributed through the national media at the time. Back in 1986, with technology obviously not being as good as it is now, if a person wanted to make an appointment to view a house, they would either have to call into the estate agents themselves or contact them using the landline number. 
Today we might still call in to the estate agents to make an appointment, but there are other options available to us now, which weren't available back then in 1986. Over the years, there have been suspects or persons of interest known to the police. They have had interviews with people or at least have looked into anyone who became known to them over the years. When looking at this particular missing persons case, three potential suspects came to light. The main suspect appears to be a person called John Canan, who at the time of Susie's disappearance was in his early 30s. At the time, John Canan was already a convicted criminal, having just been released from prison three days before Susie went missing. John Canan also matched the profile given to the police by witnesses who had said that they had seen Susie with a man the day that she went missing. John Canan was born on the 20th of February in 1954. He was convicted of the murder of a young woman called Shirley Banks in 1988. Shirley had been murdered in October of 1987. He was also convicted of the attempted kidnap of a young woman called Julia Holman. This offence had taken place the night before Shirley Banks was murdered. Julia managed to fight John Canan off and got away from him without any assault taking place. John Canan was also convicted of the rape of a woman in Reading, which had taken place in 1986. Prior to John Canan's convictions in 1988, which saw him receive a life sentence, he had served time in prison for sex offences against women. He was also known to frequent wine bars in the Fulham area of London during the 80s. Had he struck up a friendship with Susie? Had he seen her out one day and then started to stalk her? We shall probably never know. According to witnesses, John Canan resembled a man that had been seen looking through the window of the estate agents that Susie worked at just the day before her disappearance. Although he is considered to, to be the main suspect, there has never been enough evidence to prosecute him in respect to Susie's disappearance. John Canan is a very dangerous sexual predator and has been convicted of many offences over the years. He has also been linked to other cases, so who knows just how many women he has attacked or killed. Hopefully he will never be released from prison, although there is always a chance he could be released at some point. He was not given a whole life tariff like some murderers have in the UK. John Canan is not the only suspect mentioned in relation to Susie's case. Michael Sams was also considered a suspect over the years. Michael Sams, just like John Canan, is a convicted killer. He was born on the 11th of August in 1941. The crimes that he was eventually convicted of were said to bear striking similarities to the Susie Lampu case. Michael Sams kidnapped a young woman called Julie Dart in July 1991. He murdered her when she tried to escape from him. Julie Dart was only 18 years old at the time of her death. Julie had fallen on hard times and was known to have been a sex worker working the streets of Leeds. Julie was kidnapped from the red light district of Leeds and taken to a remote location. Who knows if his intention was to kill her, but it is believed that she tried to escape him and he reacted by killing her. 
It is thought that Michael Sams's main motive for kidnapping women was to make money from ransom demands. He sent a ransom note to Julie's fiancé and later with his next victim he again asked for a ransom to be paid in return for the release of his victim. Michael Sands kidnapped a young woman called Stephanie Slater. She worked as an estate agent just like Susie Lamplew had. Stephanie was kidnapped by Michael Sams in January of 1992. She was kidnapped at knife point after Michael Sams had arranged a bogus viewing through the estate agents that Stephanie worked at. She was taken from the house to Michael Sams's workshop. He kept her in a makeshift coffin for eight days. Stephanie was in her mid-twenties when she was kidnapped. Michael Sams asked for a ransom of £175,000 to be paid for the safe return of Stephanie. Her employers paid the ransom and Stephanie was released. She was dropped off by her kidnapper close to where her parents lived. Michael Sams was caught and the police found most of the ransom money, although £25,000 was missing. He was convicted of the murder of Julie Dart and also for the kidnapping of Stephanie Slater and he was given a life sentence. Another potential suspect in the Susie Lamplew case is a man called Steve Wright. He is another convicted killer who will never be released from prison. Steve Wright was born on the 24th of April 1958. He is in prison for killing five young women in Ipswich during 2006. Steve Wright had carried out the murders over a very short period of time towards the end of 2006. He had killed on five separate occasions. The women he murdered were all known to be sex workers who worked the streets of Ipswich. There was a huge media presence during the few weeks that he was killing young women. All five of the women's bodies were discovered and Steve Wright was arrested pretty quickly. He will be in prison for the rest of his life because he is one of a very few number of prisoners who has been given a whole life tariff by a previous Home Secretary. He was convicted of all five murders in February of 2008. The only reason I could find that Steve Wright is sometimes mentioned as a suspect in this case could be due to the belief that they may have both worked on the cruise ship, the Queen Elizabeth II, at the same time. This was meant to have happened in the early 80s. The police, however, have stated that this is not a strong line of inquiry in the Susie Lamplew case. So that's three potential suspects as well as others that undoubtedly have been looked at and possibly even questioned by the police over the many years since this disappearance took place. In the aftermath of Susie's disappearance, her parents set up a trust in her name. The Susie Lamplew Trust looks to support people who may need to loan work, and it gives practical advice to anyone who needs it. The trust also highlights stalking and again offers the advice to anyone who feels that they may be a victim of stalking. The Susie Lamplew Trust is still active today, carrying on the good work that it was always set up to do by her parents. Susie was declared dead, presumed murdered in 1994, and a memorial was held to celebrate her life. In November 2002, Scotland Yard held a press conference at which senior officers named John Canan as the person that they believe had murdered Susie. This was considered a very unusual thing to do at the time. Over the years, many tips have come in to the incident room and the police in general. 
many searches have been carried out based on information that has been collected by the police. Searches have been conducted in relation to John Canan over the years, but no evidence has been found. The Crown Prosecution has stated that there is not enough evidence to prosecute him. Diana Lamplew, Susie's mother, died in August of 2011, and Paul Lamplew, Susie's father, died in July of 2018. They died not knowing what had happened to their daughter and without anyone being brought to justice. It remains to be seen if there will ever be a resolution to this case and if Susie's body will ever be recovered and laid to rest. I found this case very sad. The thought of her family and friends not knowing what had happened to her is very upsetting. Susie herself was not able to reach her full potential or to live her life. It was all just taken away from her without any warning at all. It is hard to imagine someone going about their daily business and just seeming to disappear in broad daylight in London. Also, seemingly, very few, if any, real clues were ever found. I remember seeing some of the leaflets which had information on loan working and personal safety. The leaflets had a lovely photograph of Susie Lamplew on them. It would most certainly make me think about risks regarding my own safety over the years when I consider what could happen. There are more laws in place now in the workplace. Workers are more protected by employment laws and can refuse to carry out tasks for reasons such as their own safety. There are, however, some people who do still have to loan work, but hopefully there is now more awareness from both employers and employees to ensure safeguards are in place and are adhered to. Because technology is much better nowadays, it is easier to track people and to stay in touch. There are CCTV cameras in more places than ever before as well. Mobile phones play a huge part in a lot of people's lives, which can also help to track a person. Also, information is available from mobile phone providers that the police can sometimes use, if they can access it, although it can take too long sometimes to obtain some information from providers. But providers can give relevant information on where the mobile phone has been used and details on incoming and outgoing phone calls as well as text messages received and messages sent using the phone call can be retrieved. When I watched some of the interviews that Susie's parents gave all those years ago I was amazed by their dignity and they clearly clearly loved Susie. Dinah Lamplew, Susie's mother, kept promoting personal safety, which shows that even when the worst thing possible that could happen to anyone had happened to her, she still thought about others and wanted to get the message across for us all to take care with our own personal safety. It is really heartbreaking that Susie's parents and siblings and other family members, as well as all of her friends, have never found out what happened to her. With the limited evidence seemingly available in this case, it is hard to say what I believe happened to Susie on that fateful day in July 1986. Although the police seemed fairly convinced that John Canan had something to do with it and had possibly obtained more information but have decided not to release it, there will probably always be some doubts. According to reports, the police have certainly followed up on tips over the years and have even dug up areas of interest. It was reported a few years ago that the police had dug up John Canan's mother's back garden after receiving certain information. John Canan is still imprisoned for the crimes that he was convicted of. He has never been charged in relation to Susie's case, so obviously he is innocent until proven guilty.
Whether or not he will ever be released from prison will depend on the parole board and if they find it safe to release a convicted killer out into the community. Hopefully one day the truth will come out and Susie's body, if in fact she is dead, will be given a proper burial and she will finally be laid to rest. I obtained most of the information in this podcast from uh, Wikipedia and also from a documentary called Crimes That Shook Britain and also from the Guardian newspaper as well as other newspapers online.